this morning, Pastor Kyle is actually with his family in Michigan, visiting the rest of their family. Um, So I am here this morning um, to continue our series we started about putting on the rhythms of Jesus. And I was going to introduce myself, but you guys all know me already, so um, I'm Christy. Um, And Kyle started talking about how we can start to think through making a rule of life. And the the thing to remember, it's not rules for life, but is a rule of life. And that word rule comes from the Greek word for trellis, that tool that helps a grapevine get up off the ground and grow upward, becoming more fruitful and productive. And as Pete Scazzaro says, in the same way, a rule of life is a trellis that helps us abide in Christ and become more fruitful spiritually. He says it is an intentional conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything we do. And as Pastor Kyle shared with us last week, a rule of life is like an anchor for us. When you put the anchor down initially, you might not notice it much until you start to drift away and it draws you back. And there are a lot of things to consider. So many different elements and disciplines to think about when you start working to develop a rule of life for yourself. Scazzaro actually has 12 things that he suggests considering. Scripture, silence and solitude, daily office or prayer, study, Sabbath, simplicity, play and recreation, service and mission, care for the physical body, emotional health, family, community. It seems like a lot already, right? But another thing to keep in mind is a personal rule of life is a constantly changing document. It's a live work in progress, always. And my focus today is actually going to be on study, particularly the study of Scripture. So we're going to start by looking at Paul's second letter to Timothy. So if you would, Kyle would say, flip or tap your way over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, We know, of course, that this letter was not written to us directly, but it's still for us. There is still wisdom here for us to receive. So we're gonna start in verse 12, and it says this. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, not all of us have been acquainted with the sacred writings from childhood, like Timothy was. I certainly wasn't. But now, now as a 40-year-old woman, I can say that the reading and study of Scripture is a discipline that I practice, a rhythm that I have entered into my life. But when I was young, I really didn't know much about the Bible. When I came to know Jesus as Savior in my early teens, I got my first study Bible, and I was hungry the word. I devoured every word of the scriptures, and I highlighted and underlined nearly every verse I read. I even used multiple colors of highlighter, and I don't think there was really any rhyme or reason to what I was doing or what I was highlighting. I'm not really sure how I planned for that all to help me, but it really didn't stop me from doing it. 
And I may be a little more thoughtful now about my highlighting and my underlining, but not by much sometimes. But I am just as enthusiastic about the scriptures. God's word is something I never get tired of. God's word is living. It's why I find it such a joy to read and study. It's not just some ancient text, which could maybe be interesting on its own, but it is alive. It speaks to us with the help of the Holy Spirit. It is transformative. It forms us into the image of our creator, our savior, Jesus Christ. I have loved studying the word in whether it's large groups, small groups, um, studying on my own with a study guide, just digging into one particular book of the Bible. There are so many different ways to go about it and to learn and be encouraged by God's word. But the study of God's word is not just to grow in knowledge and it's also not just to grow in love or compassion. It's all of that and more. When we think of studying, it may make us think back to our school days, um, studying for a test, studying for a paper to write. And for me, there were things that I liked about studying, but usually only if the subject was something I was actually interested in. I could study for a subject that wasn't my favorite and get a decent grade. But I can tell you that now, or even the next week after I took the test, I didn't really remember anything I had studied for because my heart really wasn't in it. And when we come to the scriptures to study, we have to remember that it is not just about gaining knowledge, studying with our mind. And it isn't just about looking for a verse or two that make us feel a certain way, reading with only our heart. We are meant to do both, study with our mind and our heart. In Matthew 12, Jesus says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Last week, Pastor Kyle encouraged us to start small when we begin to make a rule of life, to start where we are and not where we feel like we should be. And it is the same for Bible study. There are a lot of things I've found helpful, whether it's to get started or to stay in the word when I'm not doing an active study. Reading plans like bread, so like the one where we've been going through the New Testament, um, these kind of reading plans have been really helpful to me, whether it's this um, in-depth or not. Devotionals can be really helpful. Both are really good, um, can be helpful in a lot of ways, but they also shouldn't be the only way that we're getting into God's word. They're a good way to start, and they're a good way to keep us in the word, but if this is the only thing we ever do, and we never go deeper, we are missing out. We are missing what God has for us in his word. In her book, Women of the Word, which I actually, I highly recommend as a resource for learning how to study the Bible, um, author and Bible teacher Jen Wilkins says, we live in a time when faith and reason are spoken of as polar opposites. And that's true, isn't it? But it just isn't so. Faith and reason go hand in hand. We just wrapped up reading through Acts, actually, in our bread reading plan, and I was really struck by it, how it talks about in Acts how Paul teaches the gospel to people. I'm just going to read through a few of them here. In Acts 17, 2, and Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Acts 18.4 says, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Acts 19.8, and he entered the synagogue for three months, spoke boldly 
reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Head and heart, both together. As Wilkin puts it, the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. In her book, Wilkin shared about the work of a Yale professor and researcher named Paul Bloom. Now, Bloom has focused on research about pleasure and how it works in the human mind. And according to his research, pleasure results from gaining knowledge about the object of our pleasure, not, as we might assume, from merely experiencing it over and over. So understanding, as Wilkin puts it, um, if Bloom is right, then finding greater pleasure in God will not result from pursuing experiences of him, but from knowing him better. And understanding who God is leads us to love him all the more. And understanding his word helps us to live out the life that God has called us to. Jackie Hill Perry is another amazing teacher of the word and author. And she puts it like this. Understanding the scriptures accurately is important because it leads to accurate worship. If I have a perverted view of God, then I will have a dysfunctional kind of worship that is no kind of worship at all. It will not only impact how I live, but will impact the people that are watching me live. My living out what I know about the Bible communicates to the world what God is like. And we know that reading the Bible is always beneficial. I mean, scripture says so, right? Isaiah 55 um, verse 11 says, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And I know from my own experience how good and helpful reading plans and devotionals can be, but we also need to add the discipline of digging deeper into the scriptures. Bible study is a discipline, like many of the other disciplines that I mentioned before that Scazzaro talks about, but why is discipline in general so important to a follower of Christ? I mean, we could go into a whole teaching about the fruit of the Spirit, um, self-control in particular, but actually, Kyle already did a message on that back on February 1st, so if you'd like to go back and listen to that later, you can. Um, but in this flesh of ours, we are not always the best at follow-through with the things that matter, are we? Or at least I know it's true of me. It can be tempting to just go off our feelings, to say, I feel or don't feel like doing that today, whether it be the study of scripture or doing the dishes. And that is fine as a one-off. Please hear me on that. We all have those days and that is absolutely okay. But long-term, long-term, how does that work out? Not great. I almost never feel like washing the dishes or doing the laundry for that matter. But if I don't do it, we don't have the things we need to eat a meal. Not to mention that things are going to start to reek pretty quickly. Um, but you might say Bible study is a good thing though. So surely I will feel like it, right? Um, guys, exercising and vegetables are also good things. And I don't always feel like partaking in those particularly. So um, do I know that I will feel better when I exercise and eat well? Yes. Does that mean that I am always going to make the right choices? No. Um, so it takes discipline. And it's the same for learning from God's word. In Women of the Word, Jen Wilkin wrote this. The word disciple 
which all of us are. The word disciple means learner. As a disciple of Christ, you and I are called to learn and learning requires effort. She says the Holy Spirit opens the word to us, but not without some effort on our part. So then, like eating well, like exercising, we have to be intentional and disciplined to do the things that most benefit us. And Bible study definitely benefits us. Theologian and pastor John Piper shared a list of 10 benefits of reading the Bible. I could have tried to come up with my own list, but I did not see a reason to reinvent the wheel when Piper already said it so well. So I'm just going to quickly read through these. The word of God awakens and strengthens faith. Through hearing the word, God supplies the Holy Spirit. The word of God creates and sustains life, gives hope, leads us to freedom, is the key to answered prayer, is the source of wisdom, gives us crucial warnings, enables us to defeat the devil, and the word of God is the source of great and lasting joy. Now you might think, yeah, all that's true. And I can just read the Bible whenever and however I want and still reap some of those benefits at least, right? Absolutely you can. But what I'm here to share with you today is there's so much more to have than just some or part of those benefits and more benefits that we haven't even named. Is there a lot of information to receive from the Bible? Yes. Can that be overwhelming? Absolutely. But God isn't just trying to download information to us. As Wilkin points out, the Bible is far more than a delivery system for information. It aims to shape the way we think. And she writes, it has been said that we become what we behold. I believe there's nothing more transformative to our lives than beholding God in his word. After all, how can we conform to the image of a God we have not beheld? That line always gets me. How can we conform to the image of a God we have not beheld? And that's one of our values here at the Gateway Church. Formation, to be formed into the image of Jesus. I've had many experiences in my life and seasons of my life where the study of scripture benefited me and benefited not just my heart or just my mind, but both. I was comforted. I was reminded of the truth. I was given hope and gradually transformed more and more into the image of Jesus, though I still have a long way to go. And it might be a bit awkward, but I am really good at awkward and maybe a little bit squishy, but I would like to share with you all some of the seasons of my own life where this reading and study of God's word has been part of the trellis that held me together how the scriptures helped keep me above water and moving forward. Kept me seeking after God, even when I felt like I could not keep going at all. So let's just jump right in, right? Um, so just to jump straight into the deep end, I have clinical depression and anxiety right into the deep end. Um, and I have lived, been living with both as far back as I can remember. But there have been some seasons of my life where the struggle has been more intense than others. And in those times, God's word and my previous study of his word were an anchor in what felt like an inescapable storm. And just for the sake of full disclosure, I take meds. 
Um, I'm on medication. It has been an integral part of my mental health journey for years, but is anyone dealing with mental health and tell you, mental health issues, I should say, there's no magic pill. We still struggle. But God's word gave me and gives me truth to cling to and hope and peace. In Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7 is a passage um, you've probably heard often relating to anxiety. But these verses for me were not just some kind of band-aid. They were balm to my aching soul and salve to my mind and my heart. And the verses say this. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request. Sorry, that's the translation in my head. Um, <laughs> let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I would say these verses out loud, proclaiming the truth even when I didn't necessarily feel it or believe it, but I wanted to believe. Psalm 27, 14 is a verse I actually had posted on my mirror when I was going through postpartum depression and anxiety. Um, it says, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. It was a way for me to proclaim that what I was going through was not forever. And I believed that it would end. Psalm 22, written by David, has been one that has come to my mind many, many times throughout my life. The entire psalm, but particularly the first five verses, have been words that I could cry out myself. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet, you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. These words from David articulated something that I couldn't seem to put into words myself, but also showed me that how even David, a man after God's own heart, sometimes felt lost and alone and abandoned. But in the dark, he would cry out to God and believed that he would come to his rescue. My husband, Josh, and I, you know, he's the, you know, curly hair, silver hair guy, very handsome over here that was singing earlier. Um, Josh and I have three amazing kids. They're all spread out here right now, <laughs> Zach, Austin, and Reagan. Um, when people ask me how many kids I have, I say three, but in my mind, my answer is five. We've lost two children to miscarriage, and that time in our life was incredibly difficult. But God's word gave me examples of lamenting, of grieving, of crying out to God. Lamentations in particular, the writer of Lamentations is not mincing words about the hurt, but they're also reminding themselves of the hope that they have in him. Lamentations 3, the entire chapter, was one I just would read over and over and over. Um, but there's one section in particular 
in the New Living Translation that always has stuck with me. It says, the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet, I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. Verse 20 that was the one that I feel like unlocked this chapter to me at the time. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. The writer doesn't say that he is going to, he or she is going to forget what has happened, that, that it's going to be erased. That isn't the case. They will always remember it and their grief, yet I still dare to hope. I was reminded through these verses of the truth of God's love and care for me and my kids. It gave me hope for the future that my babies are in the arms of Jesus, that we will be reunited. And at the time, that God may have more children for us to raise here on earth. And he did. Reagan Grace came after that time in her life. Now everyone, everyone probably has stories about when things were more difficult with their families, whether it's immediate family, extended family, in-laws, you name it. And we've had times in our life that have been so intense and overwhelming that I was not sure what, where to turn or what to do. And God's word showed me that God valued me and loved me beyond what anyone else ever could and reminded me that I should put him first, always. Jesus' teaching in Matthew 10 has stuck with me over the years. Starting in verse 34, it says, "'Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth.'" I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Sounds pretty harsh. But these passages help me understand that when I always try to do what others wanted or thought I should and put their desires above what God was calling me to, that was me loving them more than I loved him. And it wasn't easy. It isn't easy but I am comforted knowing that God loves me more than anyone else could. And wherever he calls me and whatever he calls me to do will be for my good. I could, of course, go on for quite a while about the ways in which God's word and the study of it have helped me and challenged me and grown me and convicted me and encouraged me. 
But it would take more time than even Kyle would take to preach. But I am always up for getting coffee or something. Anybody ever wants to chat? But as we talk about the benefits of, of Scripture and the study of Scripture, it stands to reason we should also be aware of how the Scriptures can be misused. Yeah, they can be misused. That's a no doubt, right? But how, how will we know? How will we know if it's being misused or misinterpreted or taken out of context if we don't know God's word for ourselves? If we aren't reading and studying it on our own, seeking the guidance of the Holy Spirit as we read or learning from trusted teachers? The short answer is we won't. In Luke 4, Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness. The enemy is trying to get Jesus to show how powerful he is to use it for his own gain, to even jump off a cliff. And Jesus answers him with scripture, from Deuteronomy in particular. Whole other message we could do on that, it's so cool. But he answers the enemy with the truth that even the enemy of our souls cannot combat. Oh, but he tries. And at one point, Satan actually rebuts Jesus with scripture himself. The difference though is he uses it out of context. And Jesus didn't fall for that, of course. It's not unusual to see scripture being taken out of context. I mean, just think of something, some of the bumper stickers or t-shirts or trinkets that you've seen. It's often pretty innocuous, but it can be a really slippery slope. And while we're on the subject, can I just share with you guys a couple of my pet peeve verses that are often used out of context? I mean, I'm going to anyway. So first up, Psalm 46.5 God is within her, she will not fall. Ladies, this is not talking about you, and it is not talking about me. It is not talking about a woman at all. It is talking about the nation of Israel. So please, can we stop using this for pumping ourselves up? Thank you very much. Um, Speaking of pumping ourselves up, Philippians 4.13, you guys know this one. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is not talking about sports. It is not talking about exercise. It is not talking about whatever competition you're about to partake in. It is talking about the hard things that God asked us to do, like, oh, I don't know, laying down our life and picking up our cross and following him, maybe that. So um, thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Um, more than these seemingly innocuous misuses of scripture. There are folks out there using God's word and saying things in the name of Jesus that are lies. They are leading folks astray and they are blatantly using the word for their own gain, their own power to push their own ideas and ideologies. And the scriptures are pretty clear about what God has to say about this. Let's just start with the passage we read first this morning in 2 Timothy. 3.13, while evil people and imposters go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Matthew 7 says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit nor a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. In 2 Peter, talking about false prophet again, false prophets arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, 
bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Second Timothy four says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. The most important thing to remember, I think, is that the Bible is not a book about you. As Jen Wilkins said, the Bible does tell us who we are and what we should do, but it does so through the lens of who God is. There can be no knowledge of self apart from the knowledge of God. If our reading of the Bible focuses our eyes on anyone other than God, then we have gotten backwards the transformation process. Any study of the Bible that seeks to establish our identity without first proclaiming God's identity will render partial and limited help. We must first ask, what does this passage teach me about God before we ask it to teach us anything about ourselves? Now, I confess, in my younger years, I had a habit of going to the back, going to the concordance, and you know, looking up a word of how I was feeling at the time and then looking up verses related to that. There's nothing wrong with doing that sometimes. It can be helpful to see what God says about a certain thing. And it's way better than Googling things first. Not that I had Google when I was younger, but I digress. But if this is the only way that we're looking at the word, we are missing it. And maybe it sounds corny and I can certainly be corny sometimes. But it's also true, there is a wealth of riches here, more than we can ever imagine. And just to just take corny to the next level, this made me think of the Little Mermaid um, and her song she's singing, look at this trove, treasures untold, how many wonders can one cavern hold? I mean, you didn't know you were coming to a Disney sing-along, but um, how many treasures and wonders can one book hold? Endless, endless. Listen to, again to what Paul wrote in his second letter to Timothy. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Made complete, equipped for every good work, Yes, please, and amen. Let's get that. And study is not just about learning and knowledge or just comfort and care. It's also about application, what we do with it. Jackie Hill Perry put it so well. We are not reading the Bible just to read it or to gain knowledge or to tweet about it or to communicate it. We are reading it so we can do it so we can obey it. If you go to James chapter one, it talks about this. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, 
he will be blessed in his doing. Remember what I shared with you from Jen Wilkin. The Bible is far more than a delivery system for information. It aims to shape the way we think. And it has been said that we become what we behold. There is nothing more transformative to our lives than beholding God in his word. After all, how can we conform to the image of a God we have not beheld? So as we study, as we learn, as the Holy Spirit reveals truth to us through the scriptures, we then have to put on what we are being taught. The study of scripture itself is a putting on of the rhythms of Jesus, but then also we have to put on what he has taught us through that reading and study of his word. And it's in this way we will be formed into the image of Jesus, transforming the way we think and the way we act and the way we live. We can't just be hearers of the word or learners of the word, but doers of the word, putting on all that God has revealed to us. Now getting started can seem a little overwhelming, but remember, start where you are and not where you feel like you should be. You could start with a book or a study from a trusted source. You can seek recommendations if you're not sure where to start. A couple of mine, Women of the Word by Jen Wilkin, obviously, good for men and women alike. Um, the Study of the Book of Jude by Jackie Hill Perry, an ESV study Bible is a really helpful resource. You can do this on your own. You can do it with a group. There are online options. You can choose a book of the Bible to study. You can seek a mentor to study with. Remember that we said a personal rule of life is a constantly changing document. It's a live work in progress and so is the way we study the word. Things may shift or change throughout different seasons of your life. It's not about being rigid in the way that you study, but just that you do study that you dig into God's word, seeing it as a book about him that ultimately helps us see who we are through the lens of our creator. And then we can continually be putting on the rhythms of Jesus through every season of our life. Another way we put on the rhythms of Jesus is to join in taking communion together. And we have individual communion elements out front if you haven't grabbed one of those already. Um, in the Gospels, it says that when Jesus and his disciples were eating together, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And then Jesus took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. As we close in worship together, would you stand after you have taken your elements or whenever you're ready and join in this final song just about how all of nature, all of creation follows and obeys Jesus and we long to do the same. <laughs>